Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Welcome, everybody. Uh, it's good to be back with you again uh, today. Excited to be back into the New Testament. Um, our guest today is Sister Michelle Burke, um, whom we've had on the podcast before. Um, and we're, I, I love having uh, Sister Burke with us. There's not a whole lot of sisters that work with us in Seminary and Institute here. And so to have uh, Sister Burke's mind and talent uh, here with us is, is a big blessing. So welcome, Sister Burke. It's good to have you. Always happy to be here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Let's uh, let's just jump right in. I, I think uh, we uh, have so much we, we could cover. So Matthew 3, Mark 1, Mark 1 and Luke, Luke 3, 3. Um, all covering the same events, right? Yeah, all we're talking about John events. the Baptist today. Yeah, yeah and, uh, and so I think maybe we just jump in. Let, let's start when he was born. Okay. I know that this chapter starts when he's about to baptize Jesus, but let's just talk about his birth before we jump into that because... It really is miraculous. Bruce R. McConkie said, This miraculous born son of Zacharias was the last legal administrator of the old dispensation and the first of the new. And I think it's fascinating. At Christmas, if you think back to the Christmas devotional, Elder Anderson talked about how the angel Gabriel came to Elizabeth finally, mm. after all her years of pleading for a child, to say, you will have a child. And she and Zacharias are finally going to have a boy, John the Baptist. And he tells him his name will be John. But at the same time, here's old Elizabeth who had to wait her whole life to have a baby. Mm. In her perspective, that must have been excruciating, painful, pleading. Many people who are struggling with fertility, that's, that's yeah. a long wait. Yeah. But in God's eyes, he had to wait for Mary to be old enough to have a baby because right. John and Jesus needed to come together. Yeah. This is who was going to baptize the Savior. So, and Mary was significantly younger than... Really young, 14 yeah, young. Wow. Yeah, and so... Do we know how old Elizabeth was when she conceived? We just know late in her years. Late in her years. I don't, I don't know a specific date. Yeah. I, I looked at quickly in the Bible dictionary, and there's nothing there that suggests we do know. I just wondered if, if you'd come across that in your research. So. Way past a childbearing years. Late in her years. Yes. Huh. And so here is God's perspective. I want these cousins to be together yeah. for this event. So hold on, Elizabeth, you'll be fine. And Mary, grow up. Yeah, right. <laughs> be ready to have a baby. And and this was the extreme. She's almost too old and Mary's almost too young. Yeah. But it happened exactly the way it was supposed to. And I don't know that we think of it that way. Yeah. Sometimes we see in our perspective with our blinders on, oh, why did he make her wait so long? Oh, yeah, we, we think, oh, old Elizabeth and ooh, almost too young Mary, right? And and our uh, before we started recording, you had mentioned that God sees a hundred years very differently than you and I. Yeah. Right. If if we're in our in our older years in that hundred year sphere, then and and God sees Mary in her fourteenth year. Um, to God, that's a yeah. They're all together. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, all it's fascinating. Same time. It's also interesting that um, Angel Gabriel 
is overseeing this entire event. Hmm. He gets to tell Elizabeth, you're having a baby. Yeah. He goes to Mary to say, the Holy Ghost will be with you and you will be having a baby. Hmm. And he's also there to tell the shepherds, the baby's been born, yeah. come and see. And where else was he? But he is that angel that we see all through the nativity. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, he's everywhere. And kind of like we see Moroni in the restoration. Yeah. You know, he's the first one to tell Joseph that he's going to be a prophet. He's the one to give the plates to Joseph. He's the one to show the plates to others. Right. So he oversaw the restoration. Yeah. Isn't it so fascinating? Like, who's the angel that's going to oversee the second yeah, coming? Right? I don't know. Yeah. No, no, that's really cool. I, I love that idea. You know, Gabriel being Noah um, is a uh, Bible dictionary description of Gabriel is that he was Noah. And we know that angel Michael <laughs> mm -hmm. was the one who cr was part of the creation and then comes down as Adam. Right. So they do have an angelic identity and then they do have a mortal identity. Yeah, yeah it does make you wonder who would be the the angels, uh, that maybe the head angel that, that announces the second coming or, or whatever is necessary there, right? Well, um, and even more fun, because you're our choir director here yeah. at the Institute, but the day that Jesus is born and the angels are singing, you know that we were there. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, and, yeah. and the thought of all of us waiting for this moment, because yeah. all the scriptures teach, He will come, and then all the scriptures after teach, He came and here's what He did. Exactly. And here's this moment in history where we all... I think we were glued to our seats oh, yeah. for this moment and all burst into song. And maybe you were the leader. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure there are others that were doing that, but but thank you for the kind thought. Um, no, I just love the idea that there are, there are prophetic leaders that God uses that have headed dispensations that mm -hmm. have helped um, not only in their, you know, short mortal period of life, but but are allowed to come back and help the work continue in their sphere and the and the things that they began. Maybe that's a Joseph, right? Maybe Joseph comes back as uh, ushering in the Savior when when the Savior comes again. I don't think it's very long. <laughs> I don't think we, we have a long time to wait, but I'm excited. Well, there's still a lot to do. Yeah. There's still a lot to do. Uh, yeah. So here's this miraculous birth, and he's raised by his parents, mm -hmm. and he comes... Uh, he really lives out in the desert, kind of out by the Dead Sea. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Right. And and it's interesting that the, one of the first thing they talk about is what he wears and what he eats. Right, yeah. You know, why the camel's hair? Why the right. locust and honey? Yeah, but that's always know. how we refer to him. Perfect Eagle Scout out there in the desert by right. the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Rubbing sticks together. <laughs> right. But he was, uh, we, we know from Isaiah that he was the one to prepare the way for the Lord, meaning getting everybody ready to go. And wow, we feel like that is happening with President Nelson. Yeah. He has prepared all of us through a pandemic, through post-pandemic, right. uh, in preparation for the, the wickedness of the world. And I think we have to cap, uh, cap all of that together and realize the role that John the Baptist played. He's coming, get ready, come get baptized. And baptism, by the way, we should touch on that too. Baptism has been around since Adam. Yeah. I don't know that, that many people really understand that, but yeah. baptism by immersion has been around since the beginning. Yeah. It didn't just beginning. start with John the Baptist. No, and, and so that's what's, I think, so interesting when the Sadducees come in, and, and we'll get there, I'm sure, in our, our discussion here today, but Sadducees come in kind of uh, sneering their noses at the baptism that John is providing. It's, it should have been part of their experience, part of their they should have understood that as a necessary. Mm -hmm. But it seems like they're just kind of standing off to the side watching John baptize, thinking, what is this guy doing and why Why do we need that, right? In fact, I think they even say, um, <clears throat> this is Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, 
um, John, he, when, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generations of vipers, <clears throat> who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. Mm-hmm. Right In their head, they're thinking and saying to themselves, uh, Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant and the, and the law of Moses is all we need. Um, we don't necessarily need um, this baptized, uh, this rebirth and this baptism unto a Christ because I can just offer my sacrifices and my sacrifices can forgive me um, because I've sacrificed a lamb, missing the whole, the whole thought that is Christ represent, or is represented by the lamb and we're baptized unto Christ in his name to take his name upon us. They just miss that whole idea, um, thus missing his whole message, his whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, there's a great addition to this story about John in Luke, Joseph Smith translation. Okay. So in Luke 3, verse 5, it says, Here he is, he shall come, as it is written in the book of the prophets, where Isaiah wrote about yeah. him to take away the sins of the world, to bring salvation unto the heathen nations, to gather together those who are lost, who are the sheepfold of Israel, yea, even the dispersed and afflicted, and also to prepare the way and make possible the preaching of the gospel unto the Gentiles, Mm. to be a light unto all who sit in darkness, unto the uttermost parts of the earth, to bring to pass the resurrection from the dead, and to ascend up to high, to dwell on the right hand of the Father, until the fullness of the time and the law and the testimony shall be sealed, and the keys of the kingdom shall be delivered up again to the Father. Hmm. So here is Joseph Smith's great insight. This is why John's preparing the way, is the Savior is coming to do all of these things. And, And what a profound message to insert into this verse. So it's it's worth mm. reading the Joseph Smith translation during the Gospels. There's just so much added. Yeah. Well, what stands out to me in that is that it not only was preparing the way for Christ to be baptized, but really preparing the way for Christ to preach the Gospel, mm-hmm. right? As one that would have, need to have needed to have fulfilled um, all of the necessary in, in, invitations, uh, covenants, instructions in order to become who he needs to be, um, he had to go through the baptism process just the same, right? And so John, John's kind of an interesting character to me because in the midst of really no righteous um, church leaders, we have this John who is a descendant, obviously, of um, the tribe of Aaron, who had the priesthood up by, by authority, um, by, maybe by birthright, um, who is given the opportunity to go and to prepare the way and even prepare the Savior with that baptism that was so necessary for him. Mm-hmm. And, and again, he's done noth- Christ, Christ has done nothing at this point other than uh, be born, teach in the temple a little bit. There's nothing that we have record of that he had. No, in fact, Joseph Smith's translation in Matthew 3 also says, uh, Jesus grew up with his brethren and waxed strong and waited upon the Lord for the time of his ministry. And yeah. he served under his father, and he spake not as other men. Yeah. Neither could he be taught, for he needed not that any man should teach him. Right, man. And after many years, the hour of his ministry drew nigh. Yeah. So it's like leading right up to, and yeah. I'm going to get baptized and then begin my work. Can you imagine, and maybe this is a relevant thing for, for each of us, can you imagine being so connected to the Spirit that the Savior was, like the Savior was, that... He didn't need others to teach him. That he, because he knew his father so well, um, he obviously had been taught scriptures, right? His parents had given him the things that he needed, the tools he needed. 
But no man needed to teach him. The, the father could do that directly mm-hmm. uh, through, through the Spirit, or maybe directly, we don't know. But can you imagine the, the capacity and faith and trust in the Spirit to teach you all things that we believe, <laughs> uh, but I don't know that we put a lot of stock in, right? We, well, and you see that in some personalities of children or, or youth or the young adults we sure. teach. You can see some that have the light bright enough they don't need a lot of convincing. The yeah. testimony is there. Yeah. And I think because of wherever they ended in their pre-mortal life, wherever their growth came to, they had enough understanding to glide them right in, yeah. and they didn't question as much. Right. Jesus had no reason to question. He yeah. knew it all. He knew the entire plan. He chose to come down here to yeah. sacrifice for us, and without Him, there would be nothing, right? right? Yeah. It all ends. But because of his knowledge at that point of entry into mortality, there is nothing to teach him. Yeah. The rest of us grew as far as we could grow, and that's why we had to come here to grow further. Sure. But we grew at different levels. Yeah. And and you see that in the in the ones we teach, it's so fascinating to me. I can stand in front of a room of sixty young adults and I can see in their eyes the different levels of where they are. Sure. And and you see the awakening even as you teach truth. And the Holy Ghost touches them; they yeah. know it, and they light up. It's it's yeah. it's like a e- yeah. amazing. Even experience. within your own your own family, right? I, I have six children. You have a large family. You see your individual children coming to the exact same home, being taught the exact same way, with completely different spiritual levels, mm-hmm. right? And not good or bad, just at a different learning level spiritually. And and it's so fascinating to me that the Savior, because there's there's a there's a juxtaposition maybe in that in that truth that you just shared that he also learned line upon line, right? So he comes through the veil and he has all of this knowledge that probably was lost, but maybe lost in a maybe lost in a very light way, that when when the Savior learns line upon line, it comes so quickly and so solidly that he never has to back up. There's this cute little, uh, um, I don't know what they call them now, the, the little Mormon messages that used to exist there. There was one put out about Christ um, as a boy. And it came out during the Christmas season four or five years ago. And, and it shows Christ. There's no English. It's just a little bit of Hebrew. And Christ as maybe a 10-year-old running out into the field to get his dad and tell him it's time for dinner. And you just kind of watch this interaction. And Joseph comes in and they sit down at the table. And, um, and Mary is kind of hustling and bustling over in the kitchen area. And Joseph and, and the Savior are sitting at this little table. And, and uh, Mary brings Joseph's food and sets it in front of Joseph. And Joseph picks it up and starts eating. And Mary goes back to the kitchen. And Christ is kind of watching his dad and watching Mary. And, and then Mary brings Christ his food and sets it in front of him. Remember, 10-year-old Christ. And then Mary goes back to the kitchen to get her plate ready. And Christ looks at his dad who's eating the food. And he looks down at his plate, and he looks over at his mom, and then he just kind of sits back. And you can tell in that moment he was learning, I'm going to wait for my mom to eat my food. And then mom comes and sits down and eats her food, and she, he just dives into his food, right, like a 10-year-old would. But I think what was so beautiful about the depiction there is it showed that he learned on his own valuable and needed principles, but then what it doesn't show is that he never did that thing wrong again. He always waited for his mom. As soon as he learned that principle, he always did it right. And that's the difference between me. There's so many differences between me and him, but but one of but the that's differences... that's the difference between the power of the Holy Ghost. Right. If we pause 
and let the Holy Ghost teach us, yeah. we have the answers to everything. Yeah, for sure. When we fight against those answers and let our natural instincts lead, yeah. then the Holy Ghost steps back and says, all right, let me yeah. know when you're ready. Yeah, and, and if I don't let the Holy Ghost actually teach me the thing and sink it into my heart and seal it, then I learned it kind of, but tomorrow night I'm just hungry, I'm gonna eat. I, I learned that I should wait for my mom, but I'm just gonna eat. And Christ never did that because he allowed that spirit, that knowledge to sink into him and become perfect the second it came. Mm -hmm. And so he was given more the next day and more the next day Which until he had Which is ultimate self-control. Right. Right, and having self-control over all the things, over yeah. time, over appetite, over desires, exactly. over instincts, is mastering mortality. Right. And, and we have to practice it daily, yeah. uh, trying to get a habit to form. How yeah. many days, how many know, weeks? Right? <laughs> and, and we are working on them one at a time as yep. much as we can handle. But you can't, we in our human state cannot be where he was at. Yeah. He was able to take one, master it, build upon it, master and it. And never fail at it, it, right? Right. And so in the course of his short 30 years prior to this experience with John the Baptist, he has learned it all. And then, and I love the way that that uh, what you read depicts him not speaking to others like other men speak to others, right? Mm -hmm. Sharing everything he knows as soon as he knows it. That's so much like me. I learned some new cool thing, and I'm like, everybody listen, <laughs> right? Well, and specifically, Joseph Smith said, "For no man could teach him." Yeah. He was being schooled by God. Yeah. And and he knew the voice of the Holy Ghost. He recognized it. It was familiar to him because mm. he's part of the Godhead. Yeah. <laughs> so for him, it's distinctive. For us, we have to tune in and determine, is this a prompting? Am I hearing something I need to hear? But that's a decision we make every day, Yeah. right? And, and John the Baptist was trying to say that to all the people. You've got to repent and be free of sin to be ready for the presence of who's coming. Well, and to be ready for the Holy Ghost, right? Isn't, yeah. that, isn't that really what he eventually gets to? Yeah. Verse 11, he says, I indeed baptize you with water and re unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoe I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so that's the the opportunity for the Holy Ghost to come um, unto them and teach them. Um, that concept of fire, I think, is is the cleansing agent, right? That, that uh, helps us to learn and to become and to be forgiven. Um, Elder Bednar gave a, a wonderful talk um, where he talks about uh, that the the Holy Ghost and the, the sacrament connecting that with baptism, but, but well, and you, we also should talk about how the Holy Ghost, yeah. like fire, like you're talking about, is also symbolic of that first fire that purified gold. Yeah. So if gold is put into a container and fire is used to heat it, and the ore melts, then the impurities all float right, to the yeah. top, right? And the pure gold settles to the bottom, and it's those impurities that are discarded where the pure gold remains. And so it's like that with the fire of the Holy Ghost. It really does purify us if we allow it to, right. if we choose to overcome it. Yeah. So it will point us into our direction of what we need to fix. Sure. It will point out our impurities. Yeah. And if we respond by repenting and cleaning them out, then the atonement cleanses us and we become like gold. Yeah. Well, and interestingly, that there are some... There are some um, elements that come out of the gold quickly. And then there are others that require more heat and more effort um, to be placed into it before the slag comes off on that, right? And so so maybe that's maybe like us a little bit too, is some of the things, you know, slough off pretty easily and pretty quickly. Um, but, but some things we hold on to pretty tightly. And so the Lord needs to heat us up more 
uh, before that is able to be released and before we're willing to let go of those things that yeah. that are just natural men thing, things probably. Well, and John the Baptist was Aaronic priesthood, mm -hmm. and so he's preparing them for <clears throat> baptism, and Christ will be Melchizedek priesthood, and he's preparing him for the Holy Ghost, yeah. and, and those are performed by the different levels of priesthood. For sure. So in his invitation for them to, to repent and to be ready was, we've got to be clean enough to baptize you, to wash you. Yeah that you might be purified yeah. by the greatest who's coming. Which is the Holy Ghost, right? And I think that's back to Elder Bednar's talk. And, and I'll just say the name of this talk really quick. It, the talk is Always Retain a Remission of Your Sins. Um, and I'm not going to quote it, but, but there are some just fascinating ideas in there about how when we initially are baptized, there is a cleansing agent. Um, the baptism itself does have cleansing properties for our spirits. Um, but really, the cleansing uh, happens when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of fire, right? And that goes back to that uh, heating of metals kind of idea. The, the desire that so many of us have to go back and get baptized again so that we can be clean again, right? Elder Bednar in this talk really articulates that we don't need that. If you listen closely to the, to the sacrament prayers... The baptism itself is a... It's a beginning. Yeah, it's the it's the departure from our old self into our new self. It's the rebirth, right? It's uh, um, the death, burial, and resurrection of our old self to new self, right? And, so and it's a gate. symbol. They, we also, the Book of Mormon says it's a gate yeah. entering you the pathway have to back have that, to eternal right? life. So it's a symbol to the, to the Father saying, I am willing to follow Christ, right? So the baptism itself is that. But then the confirmation of the and gift of the Holy Ghost is where the opportunity to be cleansed from our sins, to have that fire um, agent come to cleanse us. So you listen closely to the, to the uh, sacramental prayers, and they say, we covenant these things to keep his name upon us and, and you know, the things that we covenant, but the renewal of the, of the Father's covenant to us is that we would always have his spirit to be with us. And the message from Elder Bednar in this talk is, when you feel the Spirit, when you know that the Spirit is with you, you can also know you've been cleansed of your sins. What a powerful message, right? Mm -hmm. That if I know that the Spirit has been here with me today and it's taught me, barring major sins that require a bishop um, and priesthood leader's help to overcome, then I might feel the Spirit prompting me to go do those things and make those corrections, right? But, but generally, for most of us, when I've partaken of the sacrament worthily, and I've made the covenants that I've made, and I've renewed them, and I've tried, and then I feel the Spirit prompting and directing my life, not in massive ways, not in big loud ways, but the still small voice teaching me the next new thing I need to learn, I can know I've been forgiven, and I'm clean, because the Spirit is with me. Well, and then President Nelson, in his talk, We Can Do Better and Be Better, yeah. which is such a good talk. He also talks about repentance being change. Yeah. So there are those big things people repent for, but there's the daily things. Yeah. When we didn't keep the habit, when we missed our scripture study, when we missed our prayer, when we forgot yeah. to follow a prompting to serve someone. Right. So he uses words like repentance is change. Um, it means a change of mind, a change of knowledge, a change of spirit, even mm. a change of breath. Yeah. And Jesus is really asking us to change our mind, to change our knowledge, to change our thinking, to even change the way we breathe so that we can love more. And yeah. think to serve more and spend more time with Him and to treat our families better and even care for our bodies better. So the mm. daily repentance is, are you caring for all the gifts that I gave you? Are you finding gratitude in them? Are you acknowledging God over everything else in your busy schedule? Yeah. Is 
the commandment to love God first in your life. Hmm. And, and, you know, we have an interesting generation right now. A lot of people can easily love people and accept all the things about them. And they're quick to say, it's okay, I love you just the way you are. But they're, they're loving their neighbor before loving God, yeah. which is different than in the past. Yeah. If God comes first, of course we love everyone, but we don't ever question his doctrines. But when you love your neighbor first, you turn and question God. Why wouldn't you let them do what they want to do? Right. Why can't you love them just as they are? Right. Of course he loves them. But do you love God first? Yeah. And are you aware of his teachings? Mm. And that's where a lot of our repentance comes into play. God has to be first. And that's what John the Baptist is saying. Repent. Come back to your maker. Be ready for the Savior. Purify yourself in all things, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. Be ready so that as we move forward, the Holy Ghost can continually prompt you to be better and better. Do better, be better, just like President Nelson talked yeah, about. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea. And I, and I also love that the Holy Ghost now becomes the teacher to teach them a higher and holier way, right? right. They'd gone from the Law of Moses and all the individual little laws that they had to be obedient to, to now... Uh, John the Baptist saying, I'm going to get you ready and baptize you so that you can be baptized by the Savior's baptism of, of, of the Holy Ghost and have that now in your life so that it can teach you kind of like the change in the for strength of youth just this last year, right? Mm -hmm. that, Big that, change. That now the youth are expected to listen to the Holy Ghost and to know what they're supposed to do based on the promptings from the Holy Ghost. And the parents are expected to teach the doctrine. Right. If they don't teach the youth truth, right. the youth don't know how to make the decisions they need to to keep that. Exactly. And, that, and that, that ability to hear and know what the Spirit feels like and sounds like is becomes so vital. That's President Nelson's quote about uh, in a coming day it will be impossible to survive without that prompting, guiding spirit, right? Mm -hmm. I love Elder Bednar <clears throat> um, shared at a, in a training um, that Seminary and Institute people had not too long ago, a couple years ago maybe. Um, he had taught us about this idea of always living in the revelation, all, that we live in the revelation. We don't have to gear up to feel it. We don't have to like have goosebumps or get emotional or whatever it is that sometimes we feel when we feel the Spirit. Um, <clears throat> and and uh, he he had said this, and then this gal, um, he said, he asked the question, he said, did, did, does that make sense? As, as, what did you hear me say? And this, this little sister raised her hand. She says, what I hear you saying is that we should live our lives in such a way that we are always ready for the revelation whenever the Lord is ready to pour it out upon us. And Elder Bednar almost cuts her off, and he says, no, not ready for. That language suggests to me, this is a quote, whenever it comes, no, you're living in the revelation. That phrase, I think, is significant. Instead of thinking, we cruise along and then stop and think, what am I doing now? I have to get ready to gear up to receive revelation. That's wrong. You're always in it, that we may always have His Spirit to be with us. Now, there are people who will be extreme and think that the can of beans at the grocery store uh, is something that they need some direction on. This does take a little common sense as well. But to think that somehow our daily life is divorced from the ongoing influence of the Spirit, and it comes only when we gear up somehow, according to some formula, I think that gets in the way and messes us up. That's what I mean by we're in it, not just stopping to try to get it. And I think that's the message that John is teaching the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are coming saying, I can continue to live my 600 laws and be just fine. And John's saying, no, I'm preparing you to be baptized by the Holy Ghost 
by one who I, who I can't do that for you, right? But the Savior can do that. And when you have that, you now have an infinite number of more rules and instructions given to you by the Holy Ghost so that you can become most like Christ, not just this little set of rules that you've had so far. And that's a much bigger law. That's a much fuller law, mm -hmm. right? So much better. Yeah. So let's talk about the baptism. Okay. So Jesus comes to John, and he, John's first reaction is, I, I, don't, I can't do this. You are more worthy than I. Yeah. Why would I baptize you? But this, this is that moment of Jesus being obedient. I need to be baptized by someone of the Aaronic priesthood, fulfill this ordinance, because this is what everyone else needs to do, and I'm showing them how to do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just looking up the, the distance from Galilee to Jordan, right? That, that's in verse uh, 13. Then Jesus cometh from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him is 245 kilometers. I don't know what that is in miles. I didn't, I didn't break it down, but that's a long way, right? I wonder how many people Jesus passed along the way who thought they could probably baptize and they had the authority to do it. Let's also talk about water. Yeah. You know, this is a desert. And so he has to walk also to where there was a river and where there was enough water to right. baptize. Yeah. It mattered that he was baptized in the right way. By the right person. By the right person. And, and it mattered so much that he went to great efforts mm -hmm. to get baptized by the right people. And, and I think that speaks to our day today where there are so many who, can, who say, I could baptize you. Just come to my, make it easy. Come over here. We won't even have to dunk you underwater. We'll do it in a way that's really non-invasive and doesn't require you know, that much effort. Well, and the symbolism of baptism by immersion is significant. Yeah. You know, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Savior is the death, burial, and resurrection of your old self. You are you are putting to rest all the things of the past and coming out anew. Yeah. And it's such a the huge symbolism of what we will be in the day of resurrection. Right. If we allow ourselves to do that. Yeah, I like that. So the moment um, Jesus comes out of the water are, are the presence of all members of the Godhead. Right. Right. So he comes up out of the water and the heavens open and John the Baptist sees the Spirit of God. Um, some say in the form of a dove, but the dove was symbolic True. of the Holy Ghost. And then in some versions too, he actually says, I am well pleased, hear ye him. Mm -hmm. Only two times I know of does God speak. And here it is, this is my son, hear ye him. And then again in the restoration with Joseph Smith, right. when they appear in the sacred grove and he says, hear him. Yeah. And then our prophet has pleaded with all of us to follow these two moments when mm -hmm. God speaks in history, to hear him more in our lives every yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the, the message he's, that John is trying to get. And then the Father reinforces, right? John's trying to get the Pharisees and Sadducees to see this Christ as, whom he, as who he is. And then when he comes up out of the water for God to say, here's my son, hear him, uh, should, have, should have just changed the Pharisees and Sadducees' minds and said, oh, okay, this is who, this is who I follow now. Uh, you would think that that would be the way that it would have been, but, but again, that... But it wasn't, because they're descendants of Abraham. They automatically feel like they're entitled to the highest position in right. heaven after yeah. life. And so, no matter how good they were, they're still going to get it. Right. And everyone else is second-class citizens. Yeah. That's, that's their mentality, and why would they change that? Yeah. But that's pride. Right. 
And, and when we live thinking we are better than anyone else, our neighbor, our spouse, our family, we are the ones sinning. And it takes yeah. a lot of humility to recognize in God's eyes, we are all loved by Him right. in our varied personalities, our different color skins, our different practices of religion. He, his love for us is equal yeah. and is present for all. But when we put ourselves above others, we are the ones that need to reevaluate and get back onto a place where we can identify what's stopping us from perfecting, which goes back to John preaching repentance. Mm -hmm. We have to stop and identify it and change. Yeah. Well, and what a message that's powerful to us in our day as members of Christ's church, right? We know the fullness of the gospel. We've been blessed to have that. And in a similar, different but similar way, the Pharisees and the Sadducees felt like they had the knowledge and the wisdom and the, the gospel in its fullness at the time. And we can see by studying them how pride can lead you to thinking that you know everything and you're better than everyone else because you were blessed to have something in your life. Um, and, and really, it, you know, the, we, right now, the culture of the church is a discussion all over the place, right? And, and I think that that culture is often negative because of those types of pharisaical things where we have decided that our knowledge of whatever it is, morality or the word of wisdom or modesty, whatever that is, our knowledge somehow supersedes someone else's agency. And so we become very judgmental and we, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees were, wrongly, um, we identify things that others might be doing that are maybe not perfectly in line. And we assume judgment on those people and think, because I know something, I must know that they are wrong and evil and wicked, right? And, and, we, and, and we can't do that. We can't no. do that. Because really, we have to recognize that if we are given knowledge, it is our job to turn around and do something with it. Right. And back to the scripture where much is given, much is required. Mm -hmm. And when we are blessed with this kind of knowledge, it is our job to turn around and share and teach and bring others to a place of understanding and light. And so we just we don't have room for judgment no. in this life, but but also to recognize that and and uh, the October twenty twenty one general conference second talk elder uh, President Oaks gave a talk and spoke about how there is so much good being done outside of our faith by so many people all around the world and not only do we need to recognize it we need to ratify it and support it and help and assist right that that the lord is working through all of his children to gather not just within the the faith that has the priesthood and the ordinance is necessary but he's helping everyone learn to gather and to to become um so that he can get them all back it's, it's not just us it's no, it's all it's of not. god's kids and yep. he wants back President Nelson says, the Lord needs selfless men who put the welfare of others ahead of their own. Yeah. He needs men who intentionally work to hear the voice of the Spirit with clarity. Hmm. And that really is what our life comes down to. If we love God first, then He can use us to bless everyone else. Yeah. If we turn our lives to Him, we become a tool for helping everyone else succeed. Right. It is giving our energy, our agency, our talents, everything to Him and then turn around and saying, how can I help? Sure. What do you need me to do? Right. And if that's your daily prayer, it changes the scope of your life. Yeah, and I think, I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in the, the survival of life that we miss the message of life, right? We look at Christ's life, and he would have been the son of a carpenter and a carpenter himself, right? He worked. He had to have worked, or he wouldn't have survived. Um, 
and but but do we ever learn about that? Is that something we hear him doing a lot? And no, it was part of who he was. It was just a component of his survival. Um, but if you ask somebody today what they do, they're going to tell you their career and all about their career as the central focus of their life, as who they are, as what they are, as opposed to a son or daughter of God who's, who's assisting in the work, who's helping gather and all those things. You look at the brethren and it's easy to see that, right? You see that they've given their lives for the betterment of, of and set aside their careers, all of them, lucrative and successful careers and their retirements that could have been so much more fun, I'm sure. Um, to be willing but not to, more fulfilling. No, not definitely not. I, I, I was listening to a, a preacher in Florida uh, just yesterday, and and uh, he told the story of this uh, this older couple that had retired, and and they bought a boat, and they started collecting shells, and they had this beautiful shell collection, and uh, he 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 suggested that when they pass away, what will they have to offer? What will they be able to say to the Lord that they did? Here, look, look at my boat, God. Look at look at my shell collection, and and I compared that in my mind as I listened to that to what the brethren and the sisters that are leading the church have done to give up their lives to serve and to and to their their elderly years, the most educated that they are in their life, to give that time uh, to helping and to growing and developing. I think is pretty significant. I had a financial advisor who told me once, you know you can tithe with your time, right? You don't have to tithe with your money. And I thought, oh, honey, if that were the case, I would be well paid in full. <laughs> Maybe as we wrap up today, I would just, I would love to reiterate those baptismal covenants. Yeah. Uh, the whole reason John the Baptist is out there is to remind us that when we are baptized, we covenant to take upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ, yeah. to always remember him not just when it's convenient or on Sundays, yeah. to always remember Him, and then to keep His commandments. Mm -hmm. That means all the time, everywhere. That means it, it affects what we listen to, what kind of music we put in our ears, what kind of shows we let our eyes watch, because that all beams into us, you know, and even what kind of clothes we wear, how we treat people, what we say, where we end up being, are you going to be present in a place where evil is if you are truly trying to take upon you the name of Christ? No, sure. you're not. And are you going to be in a conversation that's judgmental of someone else if you're trying to be like him? No, you're not yeah. going to do that. And in keeping those three basic covenants, that promise to always have his spirit to be with us mm -hmm. is pure gold. Mm -hmm. Because if the spirit can be with us, we will always know where to go. We will always know what to do. And we can have peace. Yeah. And in a world that's this loud, having peace is significant. To be able to create our homes where the Savior is welcome, where the Spirit can be felt, where others feel safe. Mm. Having that in these days is the biggest blessing of all. So those covenants, the whole reason John the Baptist came was to, yes, call repentance, but to help us make those covenants with the Savior so that we could have the blessing of his spirit with us always. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I, I might just add that that when the Savior came to John, John didn't. John knew who he was, right? And said uh, he forbade him, saying, "I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me." And Christ says, and I think this is significant: "Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness." Then he suffered him, and I think along with those covenants. Um, that we've that we make, uh, it's important to remember that the baptism that we've partaken in and participated in is necessary. 
was necessary for Christ. Um, it is opening the gate, as you shared earlier, right? It, it wasn't just something Christ was doing as an example to us. For sure, that's true, but he needed it too. It was it was a law that would that had been set up in, from the foundations of the earth that this ordinance is necessary. And maybe just this, and, and share your thoughts from this again. Elder Bednar says, Sometimes Latter-day Saints express the wish that they could be baptized again and thereby become as clean and worthy as the day on which they received their first saving gospel ordinance. May I respectfully suggest that our Heavenly Father and His beloved Son do not intend for us to experience such a feeling of spiritual renewal, refreshment, and restoration just once in our lives. The blessings of obtaining and always retaining a remission of our sins through gospel ordinance helps us understand that baptism is a point of departure in our mortal journey, mortal spiritual journey. It is not a destination we should yearn to revisit over and over again. And I think, to me, so many of us have already been baptized that we we hear a lesson or we read chapters like this that are about baptism and we think, oh, dumb, check that, check the box, right? But there's so much more that we're supposed to take from that experience that maybe is in our past as a checkbox. Um, that it really is an additive experience that we we add to as we go um, throughout our lives in receiving the Holy Ghost, in keeping the Holy Ghost, and making other ordinance, making other covenants, and and in uh, participating in other ordinances. I I just think it's the first one, but it's not ever really done. It just continues, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that message, Sister Burke. Thank you. What what would you share? Uh, with the young people today, what message of hope, what counsel. Uh, I love the, how you are such a fantastic um, teacher of the young young adults in our area. Um, for anyone who hasn't had an opportunity to come down and, and take a class from you, they're just missing out. And if you're, if you're local in town listening to this, please look up a class with Sister Burke um, and come and, and sit at, at her feet and learn from her. Um, but, but what would you say for those that are farther away um, what message would you want them to know and, and feel? Just know how amazing you are, truly. Uh, Satan, who doesn't get a body, envies yours. Mm. And he does everything to pull you down and to, and to hurt you. And for you to recognize you chose Christ, you won. You are wearing a mortal body as the trophy for what you defeated (laughs) and respect it and love it and appreciate how amazing you really are. Mm. God loves you. He's so impressed with you. You have gifts and talents that you have not yet realized and he wants to help you realize them. He wants you to become the very best person you can and the only way to do that is by turning your life over to him. Mm. It is the only way. And when you trust him enough to say, lead my day, he will take you places you never expected you would go. You will meet incredible people. You'll see them through his eyes. Your ability to love increases tenfold. Mm. And the things and places that you do, you see the people you meet, they change your life. They change your life. And you will see the good in everyone because everybody has something new to offer you. But believe in yourself. Know how awesome you are. Know how much the Lord loves you and take courage in that so that you can wake up every day, keep living, keep moving, and blessing the lives of others. Yeah, thank you. It reminds me of uh, President Nelson's invitation to let God prevail. My uh, 18-year-old says, let God win. And I think that's that message, right? Let God win every day, and, uh, and you'll do well. Sister Burke, thank you for your time today. You bet. It's good to be with you.
Thank you.